Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. If you have children that are going down for children's church, that uh, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Barnes. If you have children that are staying with us, there's activities on that back table they're free to grab. There's also a uh, sermon notes that goes along with the sermon uh, that's designed for them that they can grab and come see me afterwards, and I'll have a piece of candy for them. But uh, today we are, I'm excited, because as Melody said, we're kicking off a new series, a four-week series, as we approach the holidays titled, Who You Say I Am. Uh, and the you there is so important because it's not the universal you of who the world says I am. It's not who a friend might say I am. It's not who the culture says I am. It's not even who a parent or a spouse that you love might say that I am. But that you is capitalized for a reason and that you represents God. And, and we are going to focus in the series on who God says I am and who God says that you are. Our culture, our friends, family, TV, social networking, they speak a lot of things over our lives, and their voices are often loud in our lives. But in this series, uh, we want to pause and see who the Bible says we are and who God says that we are. And for the bulk of the series, we're going to be talking about kind of like the song, who, who, the, who God says we are as followers of Jesus, who we are as forgiven, loved, chosen sons and daughters of the King. But before we get there, I want to spend today's message focusing on who God says we are as created humans and why it is he has created us. And I believe this is so significant because our culture fills our hearts and our minds with lies about why we exist and what our purpose is. And those lies can lead us to feelings of confusion, of insignificance, of worthlessness, of disappointment, of rejection, and of defeat. And that message couldn't be farther from the reality of who God says that I am and who God says that you are. This week I googled, why do I exist? Right? You want to talk about depressing. Most theories of why I exist are along the lines of we are just an accident, we are just a, a clump of cells that exist for no reason or purpose. One article said we exist because of karma, and we exist here on earth to pay the price and be punished for the wrongdoings of past generations. Right? That's a pleasant way to live, living to be punished for others' wrongs. Some say we just exist to die. Some say we exist not just to die, but we exist to love and to live. Right? That at least sounds better. But is that really it? And today we want to discover what the Bible says about how we were created, why that matters, and why we were created at all. So that's kind of the premise for the series and the premise for today's message. As we study today, we're going to touch on a few different passages of scriptures, but we're going to begin with Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18, which will kind of be the, the heartbeat for today's message. So if you'll join me, we're in Psalm 139, and we will read David's words. David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was wo woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just uh, thank you for the truth that we see in this passage and the truth we see in the Bible. God, we thank you that we are not just accidents. We are not um, just set here to die. We are not here to be punished. But God, that you have created us and you have uh, created us in your image. You have created us with purpose. You have created us the way we are. And God, I just pray that you would speak that truth over our lives today, Lord, that you would speak that truth in the areas of our lives where we need to know it and feel it. 
uh, God, that it would transform what we think of ourselves, what we think of others, God, and just what we think of our lives. So, God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are in you, God, and I pray that you would speak over us today. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we think about who am I and how was I created, we have to go back to the very beginning, back in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis 1:27, it reads, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we see something very unique about mankind, something that separates us from the stars, the moon, the plants, and the animals. God created all those things, and he said they were good, but he creates us, male and female, in an image of himself. We are created in the image of God, and we are his image bearers, along with every other man and woman that walks the face of the earth. We have value. We have significance just in the fact that we are created in the image of the God of the universe. So that's our first point. I am created in God's image. As humans, as people, we see the struggles of the world. We see the struggles of our personal lives. We hear the lives of the world that we are nothing, that we are insignificant, that we are an accident. And so often we feel that insignificance. We feel that failure. We, we struggle with questions of what is my value? But the Bible, God speaks over our lives. We have value and we have significance just at a baseline because we are created in the image of God. We have value, and every person we meet on the street has value because of the image of God in which they were created. So what does that mean? Are we literal gods walking the earth as some face teach? Is this an ancient text and an ancient exaggeration? Does it mean anything at all? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? I, I liked what John Piper did as he answered this. He said, we are made by God to image him in the world. He said that means a lot of things. Historically, people have said to be made in God's image is our morality, our sense of right and wrong, our rationality, our ability to reason, our spirituality, our ability to relate to God, our aesthetic sense. He says you don't find too many monkeys creating Mona Lisa's. Our judicial sense, the whole legal system, the sense of right and wrong and justice and injustice. He says, I think, frankly, all of those things are true in aspects of what it means to be God, be made in God's image. All those things are true, but perhaps I think the greatest significance comes in that first line. We'll touch on that later, and that is that we are made by God to image him to the world. We have a purpose in this life. We are created by God. We are created in his image, and we are the bearers of his image to the world around us. Our humanity displays God to the world. In all of our frailty, in all of our brokenness, in all of our failures and imperfections, we are still the vessel that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. That's the call. That is the purpose of those of us who are Christians. No matter our occupation, no matter our hobbies, no matter our age or abilities, God has called us to bear his image, his hope, his good news to the world. And that good news, of course, is Jesus. And we declare and display his might, his power, his value through these broken lives that we live. Paul declares this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. This shows that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Right? He says, I am created in the image of God. I am saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and my life exists to display the hope, light, and joy of Jesus, even in my brokenness and frailty. 
God has created you and I. He has created you and I in his image, and we have value in that. Not only do we have value, so do this too, does every other person that walks the face of the earth. It says that everyone is an image bearer of God, even if they don't know it or recognize it. Right? That fact should lead us to treat others with respect, with dignity, with compassion, with love, and it should lead us to do all we can to introduce them to the God that created them, that loves them, that desires to be in relationship with them, and has made a way for them to be saved. So when you're dealing with that person at the office that is miserable, that neighbor that drives you nuts, that parent or the child on your soccer team that you struggle with, right? We are called to pause and remember that they too are a child of God. They, are, they have value. You can love them for that aspect alone. As an image bearer of God, you can treat them with respect for that fact alone, even if you can't come up with any other reason. And then on the flip side of this, the fact that you were made in God's image gives you value. So on those days when you've given in the lives of the world and you're wondering, does my life matter, right? Am I doing anything significant? Does anyone care about me? Do I have any value? On those days when we find ourselves in the depths, we can remember that we have immense value. And we have immense value because God says so. The Bible declares that he has created you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He says you are of tremendous value to him. We see this expounded upon in that psalm we just read in Psalm 139. Because you weren't just created in a broad sense, but you were created specifically by God just the way you are. Let's read verses 13 through 16 again. David says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. He says depths of the earth here. That's a figure of speech for the, the mother's womb, which he said in verse 13. So David says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You, God, have fearfully and wonderfully made me and every person here on earth. God speaks over us that we are not accidents. We are not just a cluster of cells, but we are made with intentionality, with purpose, just as we are by the God of the universe. And God has seen us, known us, cared for us long before we were even born. So our next point is that I am created with intentionality by the God of the universe. When I feel insignificant, when I feel like a mistake, when I feel focused on my failures and shortcomings, the Bible speaks over my life that I am not a mistake, that I am not insignificant, that I am not a failure, and that I am created with intentionality by the God of the universe. I am created, I am known by God with intentionality and purpose. David says, God, you knit me together in the womb. Have you ever seen somebody, something that somebody took the time to knit? You don't just knit things together on accident, but they are done with purpose. They are done with thought. They are done with focused energy. Things knit together, they have value because of the one that created them. Because of the thought and the time that they put into that project. David says, God has created you and I just the way we are with intentionality. And once again, that displays God's love, God's value for us, and it also displays his glory, his power, and his might to everyone we meet. I love Augustine's quote on God's creation of humans. He says, men go abroad to admire the heights of mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of rivers, the compass of the ocean, and the circuits of the stars. Yet they pass over the mystery of themselves without a thought. 
Right? For those questioning, is there a creator? Is there a God? Just look to the miracle of the human body. We are a miracle which displays the wonderful creator, the God of the universe. Right? Modern medicine and science is incredible, but the human body is still in so many ways a mystery. And the more that science learns and reveals about the body and about creation as a whole, it further reveals the might and the glory and the power of our God. I don't have time in this sermon just to unpack that. But if you'd like to listen to a couple of messages on the glory of God revealed in creation, I would encourage you to Google or go to YouTube. There's a guy named Louis Giglio, and he's got two sermons. One's called Indescribable, and he talks about how God is revealed in all of creation. He's got another one called How Great Is Our God with uh, or slash uh, the word laminin, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. And in that, he talks about the glory of God revealed in the creation of, our, of humans and in our human bodies. And they're just phenomenal, and they are appropriate to be watched as a family. Um, so I would encourage you to go check those out because he talks about how God is displayed through creation and through the body. But I encourage you to check those out. You and I are not an accident. We are not a mistake. And God has created you and I with intentionality and with purpose. Because of that, we see, the, we see that we have value and worth, and so does everyone we meet. So maybe you hear that, and you're like me. You see a lot of things in your life that you would like to change. Maybe you're dealing with a long-term sickness or illness or disability. You think, how could God have created me like this with intentionality and screwed it up so badly? Right, let's talk about that briefly. This came up in our kids' night lesson just two weeks ago. Uh, so let me go to the passage that we had in kids' night. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In John chapter 9, uh, it's a story of how Jesus healed the man born blind. But in the first few verses, we see this point played out. It says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Think about our lives. I think so many in our lives, there are a lot of us that we don't go to church or we don't follow God because something bad has happened in our lives or maybe there's something about us we don't like. And we've all at, our, at some point in our life asked this question, why? Right? Why did God allow this man to be born blind from birth? Why did God allow suffering in his life? And why does he allow it in our lives? And in their culture, the common answer offered by the Pharisees, the religious teachers, was that the disability was obviously the result of some particular or specific sin. This is the answer our world often gives today. Some call it karma. Some call it getting what you deserve. Even some Christians with the best of intentions, they just give this simple answer. So they ask, whose fault is it? The parent's sin or is it some sin that this man committed while still in the womb. But Jesus steps up and he says, it's not the result of some specific or particular sin, but this tragedy, this hurt, this disability is the result of a fallen world because of the presence of sin. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, and in the second half, you read those consequences of those sin. Sin has created a fallen world, a broken world, a world that is no longer perfect as God created it. But instead, we know this, that our riddle, world is world is riddled with hurt and brokenness. Romans 8 tells us the world groans under the consequences of sin. And so what Jesus, what the Bible tells us is that tragedy, that disability are not usually the result of a particular or specific sin. It's not karma that's the result of this general sin that our world suffers in. God created the world and us in perfection, but sin has damaged and ruined it. 
But there is hope in heaven one day in the future where there will be no more sin and we will live in the perfection in which God created us to live. But that's not today. And so today we still groan and we still suffer with the consequences of general sin in our world. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus says that God can take the tragedy, he can take the disability, he can take the consequences of our sinful world, and he uses those things to accomplish his purposes, which is exactly what we see in John 9. And it's exactly what we are promised in our lives if we will trust our hurts, our pains, our tragedies, our disappointments to God. Romans 8, 22, I mentioned it, says the world groans because of sin. And then in verse 28, Paul says, in this same chapter, he says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Bible says suffering is not typically the result of our sin, but it's the result of the sinful, broken world we live in. But the good news is despite suffering, God can and will use that suffering for our good and his glory. Perhaps even more amazing than that, Paul in this Romans passage says that God uses all things. So even those things that are the result of bad decisions or sin in our life or others' lives, God can redeem those things and use them for his good and for, our, for, for his glory and our good. Back in September of 2020, we spent a week on this passage where we unpacked it more fully. So if you want to hear more about that, you can go check that out or come talk to me and I'll give you a link to that. But if you just pause and think about this man born blind, right, it felt like he had, God had messed up when he created him. But it was his brokenness, it was his disability that God used to bring him to the feet of the Savior of his soul. And the promise is that God can take the challenging disability, he can take the tragedy, he can take the hardship, he can take the disappointment in our life, and he can use it for his purposes. But in order to understand that, we must have a God-centered perspective, a perspective that orbits around God and not around ourselves. Think of this man born blind. We talked about this at Kids Night. He was changed. He was given his sight back. He became a follower of Jesus. He ended up in the Bible. Do you think if he had the opportunity to go back and be born with sight, do you think he would have changed his whole life in the way he was created? I think, of course not, because it was his disability that had led him to the feet of his Savior. It was his disability that served as a display of Jesus' power. It was his disability that has impacted millions and led them to God. Was life hard as a blind beggar? Yeah. Do you think the fact that, but, but even that, after, I mean, it was hard, but do you think after the fact he would go back and change his life, his disability? Of course not, because his life included experiencing God and his power. It was his disability that took him to the feet of Jesus. And when God is at the center of our lives, we are willing to go through trial, to live through tragedy, to see God's purposes fulfilled. So you and I are created with intentionality. We are created with purpose. We are knit together by the God of the universe and are known to him from the very beginning. And even when life is hard, even when our bodies succumb to the consequences of universal sin and the sin of our bad decisions, we can find rest and hope if we give those to God because he will use them for his glory, his purposes, and our good. We see that with the man born blind. Even his greatest heartache and disappointment is redeemed by God, and he makes it good. And that leads to our next point. Our next point is that I am created for a purpose, or I am created with purpose. The Bible speaks over our lives. We are not accidents. We are not insignificant. We are not created merely to exist, but we are created for a purpose. We saw that a little bit in the very first point. Created in the image of God gives us the purpose to image him, to display him to the world. Isaiah 43 reads, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. 
everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. I love how Tony Rinke brings this purpose and this verse to light with this illustration. He says, here's the picture in my mind. He says, I was created like a mirror. And a mirror that was supposed to be at 45 degrees with a clear, reflective side pointing towards God. And then it shone him to the world. But in the fall, in sin, Satan has persuaded me that my image is more beautiful than God's image. And so I flipped over the mirror. And now the black backside is towards God and it doesn't reflect anything. Instead, the mirror casts a shadow in the shape of itself on the ground. And we have preferred ourselves over God ever since. But he says in salvation, two things happen. The mirror gets turned around, and we see the glory of God again. And then gradually the grime gets wiped off, and we begin to reflect God to the world. So I say, he says, I think being created in the image of God means that we image God. We reflect God. We live in a way. We think in a way. We feel in a way. We speak in a way that calls attention to the brightness and glory of God. So we put those pieces together, and we can see why God created, created us. We are created to be spreaders of his glory. To be, me, be made in his image means at a foundational level we were created to show the world how precious and deeply satisfying God is. But if people look at us and they see only our self-absorption, they, they see the light-sucking side of the mirror, then we fail to proclaim his glory to the world. For this we were created, for this we exist. So I love how he explains that the purpose that, that you and I were created. But even that, I think, is a little bit in the clouds sometimes. We understand what he's saying, but it can be a struggle for me to put that into practice. So let me turn to a couple of Paul's writings. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul says we are created in the image of God to display his glory to the world. Using Rinke's illustration, in sin, we turn that mirror from God to ourselves. But when we are saved, we become a new creation in Jesus, and that mirror is flipped over from ourselves to the glory of God. And he says it's through good works, through loving others, through obedience to Jesus' commands that we proclaim him to the world. You and I are created with the purpose of glorifying God, and you and I proclaim his glory through the good works he has called us to do. So we don't proclaim, we don't display God just through intellectual assent. We don't proclaim his glory through checklists. We don't proclaim his glory merely by just coming to church or just intellectually reading our Bibles. But we proclaim his glory by doing the things he has called us to do. So how are we called to do that? Right? I think the temptation, I kind of mentioned it there, is to believe that good works for God can just happen in the context of the church. I believe it's so much more than that. Yes, we serve and volunteer at church. Yes, we should read our Bibles. But if we just read and don't apply what we are reading, we're like James calls us to do, then we miss it. In Romans 12.1, Paul says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This offering takes place not in identified temples, but in everyday life. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the name of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, it's right for us to invest our life in the church, but we have to be more than that. We are called with the purpose of glorifying God, shining His light, making Him known, sharing His hope in all aspects of our lives. The Theology of Work commentary says that Ephesians 2.10 would encourage you to learn to see your whole life as interconnected series of good works that are offered to God. 
This means your good works can include that which you do at work, in the classroom, on the football field, in the neighborhood, in the community. They say if you're a boss, part of your call involves the way you manage your employee. If you're a parent, your good works involve making dinner for your children as well as praying for them as you tuck them in bed. The more we grow in our faith, the more we see ourselves as God's creation, the more we will indeed do everything in the name of Jesus by his strength and for his purposes. And so our final point is this. I am created to make God known in all aspects of my life. God has created me not just to bring him glory and make him known on Sundays, but God has created me and he has created you to make his glory known and honor him in all aspects of your life. His desire isn't just to transform one small slice of our lives, but he desires to transform to make a new creation of the whole of us. And when we follow Jesus, when we understand what we are created, that we are created by him in his image and with purpose, it gives everything we do meaning and purpose. God proclaims of my life that I am not an accident. I am not just a cluster of cells. I have value. I have worth. I have a reason to live. And all that I do has been given purpose because of he that created me. I'm created to reveal God's glory in all of my life. I'm created to shine and share his greatness in all aspects of my life. I'm created to shine and share the hope and the new life I've experienced in all aspects of my life. You and I are God's chosen vessel. We are his plan to reveal himself to the world and to tell the world of the hope, life, and forgiveness available in him. Your time at the gym has purpose because you are there to shine the light and hope of Jesus to the people there. Your time at home has purpose because God has created you to be the image bearer of his glory, his hope, his life to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your foster children, to your neighborhood kids, and whomever else might come in your home. Your time at work, your time at the ball field, in the car, at the mechanic, shopping, at school, your time at the PTO, your time wherever has value because God has placed you there with a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal his glory, his goodness, his life, his love, his hope to the world around you. Right? The world might tell you you're an accident, but God declares that he knows you, that he loves you, that he created you with intentionality. The world might declare over your life that you are just one of 7.75 billion people walking this earth. Because of that, your life is insignificant and meaningless. God declares over you that you are known, you are loved, you are bought with a price, and you have incomprehensible value to the God of the universe. The world might declare over your life that you are unlovable, that you are too far God, that you are damaged goods. But the Bible declares over your life that you are so valued that Jesus died in your place and he offers forgiveness to you and anyone that will follow after him. And the Bible declares there is no wrong too great, no sin too great to keep you from him. The Bible declares you are so valued that Jesus has already paid the price and he is searching for you. He is scanning the horizon for you and he longs for you to return. And when you return to him, he celebrates, he calls you his son or his daughter. The world might declare over your life that, that what you do doesn't matter. But God declares over your life that you have a purpose and a mission. And that it is the greatest purpose and mission this world has ever known. You have been chosen and you have been given the task of revealing God's glory and his goodness to the world. Sharing with the world how they can know your good, holy, and perfect father. So as we recap, I, I don't know where you are today. That was a, a lot. I don't know what it is that you needed to hear. But maybe for you, you are here and you are struggling with you. And you're wrestling with the lies that the world speaks over you. 
You're struggling with your value. You're struggling with your identity. You're struggling with your self-worth. You're struggling with, why do I even exist? If that's you, God speaks over you today that he created you. That he created you just the way you are for a purpose. That he loves you. That he values you. And he longs to be in a relationship with you. God knows you. He loves you. And he created you. Rest in that. And then come back next week and talk about how God desires to make you his own and call you his son or daughter. You are created and you are loved. Rest in that this week. Speak that truth over your life this week. When you hear the lies of the world from a classmate or a spouse or a friend or the TV, fight it with that truth that God proclaims over your life. Maybe you're here today and you are struggling with other people. Maybe it's specific people. Maybe it's a type of people. Maybe it's just people in general. If that's you, I want you to hear and remember this week that that the other person or the other people are creating the image of God just like you. And that doesn't mean you approve of their actions, but you can love them, you can value them, you can have compassion on them just for the fact alone that they are creating the image of God. And not only can you value them, but there's a good chance that there is a purpose for you knowing that person or those people. Perhaps you know them for the purpose of showing them God's glory, goodness, hope, and grace. This week, when you're ready to give up, when you're ready to mock, scold, or scoff at that person, would you instead just stay quiet and just pray for them and pray for your heart? Pray that you would see God's image in them, that you would shine his glory and goodness to them, and that you would be God's image bearer in their life. Lastly, maybe you're here and life feels meaningless and void of purpose. If that's you, first of all, know that's false. And begin asking God for opportunities to be his image bearer his glory proclaimer, his bearer of hope in the everyday moments of life. As you enter into new settings this week, pray for God to reveal his purpose in those moments and for him to reveal concrete ways you can proclaim his glory and share his hope in those settings. You are created. You have a purpose. You have a mission. Go this week and share his hope with the world around you. Just a second, Melinda is going to come and she's just going to play. And as she plays, I'm just going to pray for us. And then we'll all just take a couple of moments and just kind of reflect on who God is, who he says that I am, and who he says that you are, and what it is he has called us to do. So if you join me, we'll pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are created in your image. That we're not just an accident, that we're not just one of 7.75 billion, but that we are created in your image. We are created with intentionality that you have knit us together, that you have made us just the way we are. God, and that you desire to use every aspect of our lives to, to reveal your glory. To use every aspect of our life for your glory and for our good. So God, I pray that we would just know that truth as we leave today. That we would know that we are created in your image and we have purpose and we have value. That we are known to you and we are not an accident. God, I pray, Lord, as we speak, as we hear that truth over our own lives, Lord, that it would change the way we treat others in our lives. God, that we would love and value others as you have loved and valued us. God, I pray that 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 truth would speak over the purpose of our lives, Lord. We wouldn't see our lives as just collections of events that are random, as accidents, as meaningless. God, that we would see each aspect of our life, each place that you send us with purpose. God, that we would love others, that they would see your glory 
manifested. May we see your glory on display by the way we love others, by the way we treat others, by the way we talk to others, by the way we help others, by the way we display your kindness and goodness to others. And God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share your hope and that many might come to know how good you are, that might know your forgiveness and your love, that might be called sons or daughters of the king just like us because of the way we displayed your image to them. So God, just help us to know that we are created, we are valued, we are loved. God, that we have a purpose in this life. God, would you speak to us in these next couple of minutes? In your name we pray. God, I thank you for who you are. God, and I thank you for who that you say that I am and who you say that each of us are. God, may we go out in your truth this week and may we proclaim your glory and your goodness to all that we meet. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, just a few announcements before we head out. Uh, first of all, you're new to Living Hope Church. There should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in the wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. Um, that's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. In terms of announcements, we have a small group that meet, Bible study that meets here from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights. I'd uh, love for you to join us for that. Um, we have kids choir that meets from 5 to 5.45 here in the sanctuary at church on Wednesday nights. Uh, if you have questions about that, you can see me, um, and uh, I'll let you know any info I have, and I'll connect you with people that have the info. Uh, and then we have kids night that meets from 6 to 7 here at the church. Uh, there will be a snack served for those kids that are staying for both in between. Typically, we have youth group from 6 to 7 here on Wednesday nights as well. Uh, but this week, there is no youth group, and we'll get that uh, out as much as we can. All of our leaders will be gone. Sorry. Sorry, Alexia. Um, but we'll get that info out. If you know someone that typically comes, let them know that too. We let them know at youth group, but let them know. So uh, thank you so much for being here this week. We hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.